Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Hello everyone. Uh, I have added some Mary lights to the title slide for today, just to help you feel Christmas uh, Because today is, um, in our series that we've been doing for Isaiah, um, about hope. There is hope, which is good news, isn't it? There is hope. Hallelujah. And uh, today we're saying hope is good for the world, and we're going to read some from Isaiah 60 in a few minutes' time. So if you've got your Bible, this is your preemptive warning to get it out. But before I get there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever in your life experienced one of those moments where you're very excited about something, but then it kind of ends in bitter disappointment. <laughs> there are some hands. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I won't ask any stories because it may be Christmas presents that you receive from other people in the room that sort of, as you turn paper off, thinking it might be one thing and no, it's another. It's a, an odd collision of feelings, isn't it, in those moments? Well, you're very excited about something, and then, to be honest, it's a bit of a letdown. It's not just me, right? But there were plenty of nods. Keep nodding, please. And uh, I thought, where better to start than laughing at other people's misfortunes in this regard? So I, I came across online some, uh, some online shopping failures. So uh, here's the first one. That's probably too small for most of you to see. It says, uh, I bought a rug online for my room and realised the importance of specifying the size of the product you're selling. This is what he bought from Amazon, and this is what I liked. <laughs> He's delighted about it as well, as you can tell. Another one? Yeah. Um, this was someone that had bought a mug for Christmas from the pictures, one of those nice colour-changing ones. You put the drink in, it changes picture. Apart from when it arrived, it looked like this. Can you What's that on the mug? Want another one? Bought a cheap two-man tent for a festival. Turned out to be child-sized. Still took it. I showed this to an unknown member of the serving team today, and they said, that's just you in a normal tent, I think. <laughs> Charming. Uh, it, it's an odd collision of feelings, isn't it, where you're very excited about something that then doesn't quite turn out to be what you were expecting, and uh, that's the kind of feeling and emotion and context that what we read in a minute was written into. The uh, last 11 chapters of Isaiah, they are written to the returning exiles. So Israel, the people of God, were conquered by Babylon. We've covered this a few times, taken away. They were 70 years away from the nation, and then there's a change in king, and King Cyrus of the Babylonians has a completely opposite political approach to his predecessor. He decides that rather than bringing everyone to his place, he can send them back to their place and give them some degree of freedom, but rule them there. So he allows... Um, Israelites to return to Jerusalem, just as God told them that he would. And so they arrive back in Jerusalem with great hope and excitement. 
uh, and then immediately face numerous terrible challenges. Other people have settled their city and taken over. They don't have the freedom they have, they don't have the money they used to have. It is hard and the great excitement suddenly becomes mingled with a bit of disappointment. And uh, there's one passage in particular that crystallizes this for me. You might know it. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah kind of tell this story, if you want to know where we are. And in Ezra chapter 3, it tells the story of the foundation being relayed for the temple. You know the story, some of you? And um, the old temple had been like destroyed, like thoroughly sacked and burned when Jerusalem was overthrown. And so they relayed the foundation to rebuild the temple. And it says, as they do that, there's this great shout of joy from most people, apart from those that had seen the previous temple. And when the younger people were shouting for joy, the older generation, those who had seen the previous temple, they wept. Because it was such a pale comparison to what they had done. It was smaller, it was inferior, it was not going to be the same temple as they had loved and had experienced in their lifetime. And so they wept. And it says the noise is so loud, the weeping and the joy that you couldn't tell the difference and it was heard from miles away. Excitement and bitter disappointment mingled together in the same moment. It was not what they thought it was going to be. And it's to those people that what we're about to read is written. Got a Bible or a device? Isaiah 60. Turn yourself there, flick yourself there. A little bit later, I will read some other bits that won't come up on the screen. So if you've got a Bible in your bag, you might want to get it out. But we're going to read it. <coughs> me. the first seven verses of Isaiah 60. Um, although, really, the whole chapter comes together as one. Excitement and bitter disappointment. Got it? Arise! Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of cows will cover your land, which I think is a good thing. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense. Interesting two gifts to be brought this time of year, wouldn't you say? And proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedah's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of somewhere will serve you. Anyone know how you say that word? Nebaioth? Nebaioth. Nebaioth. Ooh. The rams of somewhere will serve you. 
they will be accepted as offerings on my altar. And I, says God, will adorn my glorious temple. To a people coming to terms with deflated excitement comes possibly one of the most positive and optimistic passages of the entire scripture. It isn't what they thought, yet here comes Isaiah saying something far more beautiful, something far better than you thought is going to come. There is hope. There is hope. And as we've been journeying through Isaiah, part of the reason I'm doing this series is to kind of help us because you know the, the Old Testament is a lot bigger than the New Testament. Yeah? And, uh, and a lot harder to read in most places. Like we like we like the gospels, yeah, straightforward. Jesus walks around, everyone loves him, apart from people who hate him and try and kill him. And uh, he does some good stuff, heals some people, teach you. It's really straightforward. We like the letters that people wrote because they're like, it's it quite naturally. And then we come to passages like this and we go, oh, what do I do? And there's like a bunch of other ones as well that make you like sigh even louder. Like, how do we read these passages? And there's loads of them. All these books with weird names like Ezekiel and Amos and Hosea. Like, how do you read these prophetic books? And one of the key things we've seen as we've gone through this series is that when we're reading Old Testament prophecy like this, it's like looking through a telescope. And we've said this, uh, and the telescope squashes three things into one picture. You see the near future, it's going to happen to the people that are being spoken to. You see the far future, our day, and you see the very end. And they're often all squashed together in one picture, which is why it's hard to understand. And here, what we're seeing is the near future, the far future, our day, and the very end, squashed together in one picture. A fancy term, when you want to feel clever, when you're with some Christians from other churches, because we all know this phrase now, is inaugurated eschatology. When you turn to the person next to you and put on your smuggest voice, inaugurated eschatology. Thank you very much. Christmas dinner, table conversation dies down. You say, hey, have you ever heard? of inaugurating eschatology. It means this, it means the end has begun, but it isn't finished. The end has begun, but it isn't finished. It means that the kingdom is here, but not fully here. The kingdom is now and not yet, as John Wimber said a lot. And we're used to this idea when we talk about healing, like we pray for the sick and sometimes they get healed, right? In fact, the other week we prayed for the sick and they came and shared. And two other people messaged me after that morning telling me about what God had done in them on that morning as we prayed for the sick. Come on, God heals people. Sometimes when we pray for them. And sometimes he doesn't, and we go, why? Because the kingdom's here now, and sometimes we see it break in, and sometimes we don't, because it's not fully here. We're used to that with healing and answered prayer. Why does sometimes answered prayer come easy? And sometimes it just doesn't. 
It ends here, but it's not fully here. One day, every prayer will be answered. The will of God will be fully rolled out. All sickness will be wiped away. One day, the end will be fully here. But now we see it breaking in. And what we've got here is that same now and not yet, but not about healing or answer prayer, but about our experience of church and the kingdom of God. It's here. And there's some more to come. Now and not yet. And so we see here in this passage what we're going to see as I unpack it a little bit in the next 15 minutes or so is how the kingdom comes and that it is better than we ever dreamed. Ready? Arise, shine, for your light has come. What's the first question? What's our light? Hey, nice picture, Isaiah. What are you talking about? And to understand, we need to see how Isaiah's used this uh, word, light, this picture, through his book so far. Where are we going to go first? We read it last week. Isaiah chapter 9. We might not be doing a carol service, but we are reading the carol service passages today. Later. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What's the light? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. What's the light? The son, child, Jesus. What is coming? Who is the light of the world? The Messiah. He's coming. He is bringing light. He is going to illuminate the darkness. Is it dark? We need Jesus. That's the first way that Isaiah uses light. It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus. But then you turn to chapter 42 or 49, either. They both say the same thing. In verse 6. In both of them, Isaiah speaks to the people of God and he says, Speaking on behalf of God, I am going to make you a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to make you a light to the nations. No longer is it Jesus, now it's you. You. The person next to you, you can look at them. The person behind you, the person in front of you, and you yourself. I am going to make you a light to the nations. That's the second thing. God is going to do something amongst his people that causes light to come and the world to see. Chapter 51, he says God's justice will be a light to the nation. So the rule and reign of God, his justice, is going to be light and it's going to illuminate in the darkness. And then you arrive at chapter 60, the one that we're in today, where light is basically everywhere. You can't get away from it. Because your light has come. It rises on you. And at the end of the chapter, if you've got your Bible out, you can check on that line to you. Verse 19 and 20, it says, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. God himself will be the light that never goes out. How do we understand these things together? I suggest to you that the light is the presence of God. 
comes in Jesus, the Messiah, God in flesh, fully God, fully man, the presence of God on the earth. God is going to do something amongst his people that makes them a light to the nations. He's going to put his presence amongst them. His presence that forms his kingdom, his justice, is going to display what God is like. And here, God is going to be the light of his people. It's by his presence with his people. Without the presence of God, there is darkness. With the presence of God, there is light. What we see here is the kingdom, this kingdom which is now and not yet, it comes through the presence of the king. No kingdom, sorry, no king, then no kingdom. But when the king arrives, the kingdom, his rule and reign, comes. And at this point, part of the reason that people were weeping in Ezra, where we started, is because the temple that they had known had held the presence of God. But as you read the Old Testament, you find that the second temple, the one they rebuilt, never once does the presence fall into that temple like it did in the days of Solomon. You know, when they built the first temple, they had a big festival, and they worshipped, and they said, the Lord is good, his love endures forever. And the story, and the cloud of the presence of God fills the temple, and the priests fall to the floor, and they can't do their work. And the presence of God resides in the middle of the temple, the Holy of Holies. It's so pure, it's so perfect, it's so powerful that only one day a year can one man go in there to make a sacrifice. They're terrified that if they go in there, other than that, they will die. The presence of God is Because of their sin and their rebellion, the presence leaves. A baby's born in Israel's Nicobot. Lord's departed. God's gone. Because of the sin of the people. And the temple doesn't have the presence of God. And there's no presence in the temple of God. Even after they rebuild it, he doesn't come. He doesn't fit it in the same way. There's no presence in the temple until one day a young married couple walk into the temple carrying their baby to dedicate him. His name is Jesus. And it's the first time the presence of God enters the temple. And do you know what happens as they walk in, as the presence of God re-enters the temple? Worship and prophecy break out. Luke chapter 2. This is why you need your Bible, because I haven't put it on slides. And the time, verse 22. 2.22 And the time came for the purification rites required by the Lord Moses. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Skip to verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. This is the fulfillment of the desires of his heart, his whole life, because God had promised him to see the Messiah. He's an old man. And he takes the baby and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation 
which you prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. Charles Bible would have marveled at what was said about him. So he blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your own soul to worship the prophecy, erupt in the temple as the presence of God returned to Jesus. There's also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Henry, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The presence of God enters the temple again, and worship and prophecy break out. And Jesus walks around Israel, the presence of God amongst his people, and we see miracles break out. We see great acts of mercy break out. We see truth proclaimed, all the things that come in the presence of God. Until one day he says, you know, I've got to go. And his disciples are following him. Nana. Imagine. Nana. Imagine. You followed this man around you like, this is the Messiah. Nana. You've seen him open blind eyes. You've seen him open doors. You've seen him calm the storm within the world. You've seen him multiply food. You've seen him raise the dead. Like, ah, so excited. What is going to happen next? And he says, what's going to happen next is I'm going to leave. Bitter disappointment. But it's good for you that I go because I'm going to send another who's just like me. Something needed to happen before he was able to send one just like him. See, the presence had left the temple because of the sin of Israel, because of the sin of the people. They had made the temple dirty in the way they conducted themselves. They loved and followed other gods. They had taken part in horrific things. You can read about it. I just finished reading one or two kings in my times in the morning, and he's like, how stupid I am. And then his son took the throne, and he was even more evil than, than his father. He led the people of God astray. Sacrificed their own children to follow their gods. Set up idols to other gods in the temple. Ah, stupid idol. And then you realize that although we don't sacrifice our children to other gods, set up idols in our homes, up statues, all of us have gone astray, each to our own way. Each of us have the problem of sin. Which caused the presence of God to depart from the temple, and Jesus needed to do something so that the presence could return to his temple. This time it wasn't a man walking into the Holy of Holies to sacrifice goats. This time it was a man who contained the very presence of God, sacrificed on behalf of the nation. 
nailed to a cross, dying as a sacrifice to atone for sin, so that we can be clean. Any rest of the day? Sorry to spoil the story, but. Ascended to heaven, and 40 days after we ascended to heaven, 120 men and women. 120 men and women. It's a really good side. Do you want a side note? Nothing to do with what I'm saying. Entire history of the presence of God in the temple, one man gets to go into that room once a year. Next time the presence of God comes to earth, where is it found? Some of you Just put it out there. 120 men and women in the upper room, worshipping and praying, waiting, because Jesus said, I'm going to send you another just like me. What happens next? Sound like wind. Fire above their heads. Hey, let me ask you something. If you don't have electricity and you're in the dark, how do you make light? Fire. It appears above their heads. Fire. And the presence of God fills. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the very same things that follow Jesus around miracles, mercy, the declaration of truth begin to follow this group of people around. The very same things that Jesus did, they do miracles, mercy, teaching truth. The presence of God is back amongst his people, just like Jesus. So Terry Virgo once preached on Acts 2, and he's like, the disciples that have been sat around, she said, I'm sending you another just like me. Hence, across the spirit falls, and they would have looked at each other and they'd have gone, He's back. Jesus is back. Can you imagine? They've gone from excitement through disappointment to something even greater than their expectations. The people of God are bitterly disappointed. They're weeping at the sight of the temple. Yet Isaiah prophesies to them, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord will rise upon you. Something even greater than they were dreaming of is coming. And that something even greater than they were dreaming of is what you and I have. Do we take it for granted sometimes? It's what the people have longed for. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit amongst us, one just like Jesus, the presence of God is amongst us. The kingdom comes through a people who carry the presence of God. The presence of the King. Our light has come. His light has risen upon us. And nations will come to the light. That's the promise of this passage. The light radiating out of each one of us and out of the church. God has said, we'll draw the nations, we'll draw kings, we'll draw rulers, we'll draw wealth into the kingdom of God. The same effects of the presence of God present in Jesus will mark the people of God filled with his presence.
We see miracles. Great acts of mercy. Declaration of truth. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So what shall we do? It's a nice bit of teaching, but what shall we do? My suggestion number one that the call of God is to cherish the presence of God that is with us. Emmanuel, God with us, is the hope of the nation. And yet we have the even greater fulfillment. That no matter where our future, the presence of God is with us. Because we are the temples of the Spirit. There's a fun double thing going on. The church is the temple of the Spirit and our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. The church is the new temple inhabited by the Spirit of God. Prophecy, both in the scriptures and the spiritual gifts, is supposed to lead to revelation, but we see it differently. That's what this is supposed to help the people of God do, right? They were really excited, then they were bitterly disappointed, and the prophecy comes to help them see differently. Revelation. Which causes them to live differently. So it's not just seeing differently, but we're to live differently. And I want to suggest if we're going to cherish the presence of God, then we need to get our hopes up. What does it mean that the presence of God is always with us? What does it mean that everywhere I put my foot, the living God is with me? What's possible? What's possible? What does that mean for when I'm with my family? What does that mean when I'm at work, or at the shops, or sitting trying desperately to pray? It's with me. I think we need to get our hopes up, friends. We need to grow in expectancy. We need to arise and shine. Because God is with us. I know it's been tough. <coughs> oh, it's been a tough few years. Doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon, either, does it? What does the prophet say? Arise! Shine! Your light has come. It's not about your circumstances, it's about the fact that God's glory has risen upon you. Everywhere you go, the living God is with you. You can't remove yourself from his presence. doesn't need a miracle. He's already with you. When you're desperately alone, he's with you. And you need breakthrough. You're not calling to a fire of God. His spirit lives in you. First change we need is to get our hopes up, become expecting what it might mean that God is with us. Second thing 
alluded already, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. All of the yous in this passage are singular. It's spoken to a people, not individuals. No, it's you, not your, in South America. We, we lose it because English is limited. It's the church. The gathered church is your regular reminder of the presence of God in us. And the last three years have caused many people to question church, how it should function, what it should look like, how it should be. And there's a lot more to say than this point. But one of the key things that the gathered church does is it reminds us, it reminds us that God is with us. Because he's with each one of us. And however you walk into the room, someone else walks in differently. And the person who's crushed in spirit but here speaks a very powerful word to the person whose life is Christian. I could take you to a moment early in the life of Holy Prayer. Just some heart-wrenching stuff had happened to a couple in the church. And I sat with her husband and he's in pieces, just broken. Sunday morning they were there. And the worship ebbed and flowed as it does and as it dropped for a moment, his wife just prayed out this powerful prayer of trust in God, despite the fact that a significant portion of their life had just been apart. Friends, I was just like ugly crying. To see the pain and the desperation and the bitter disappointment, but to see them worship through the pain the most beautiful thing. It reminded me that God is with us. But they needed to be in a room with, at that point, 50 other people loving Jesus. Because if they'd been on their own, they could well have got crushed. As we gather together, as we worship them, God is amongst us. We don't need signs to tell us that God is amongst us. He just is. You know that, right? right? It's not proportional to whatever contributions happen at the front cross with us. Just fact. Yeah, we know that one. He's just with us. We come with an expectation. We're going to encounter God because he's amongst us people. Of course I'm going to encounter the presence of God at church because it's the temple of God. For hundreds of years, if you'd encountered the presence of God, that we get to encounter just being in the room together, you'd have died. On the spot. It's a shame about two weeks off, really, isn't it? Should do church again tomorrow. Church is the temple of God. To have it by his presence. As we gather together, we're in the presence of God in a powerful way. When we gather every Sunday, it's our reminder that we are the people of God and his presence is with us, no matter what my week is held. And no matter what you do on your own in your house, you can't replicate that. 
going to go almost there. No matter what you do with a few people like you in your house, you can't replicate that. The power of church is the power of difference. It's seeing the joy on our children's faces with their simple faith because this is what we do. It's hearing the heartfelt worship of people whose life has just fallen apart. It's seeing the people for whose lives have been transformed and they're flying high because of what Jesus has done for them. The people who love to dance in worship, the people who love to sit in worship, the people who sit quietly, the people who are very loud. It's the diversity of the community in the presence of God which declares the wonder of the God who is with all of us. And friends, we can't do that at home. You can't do that on YouTube. YouTube. You can't. There are very good reasons for watching on YouTube, but you can't live church life on YouTube. You have to be amongst the people of God. If you found yourself, as many have, as I have, they so, what is church in 2022 and 2023? Some of the stuff that we always thought, man, you have to think about this. The starting point is, it's the temple of God. His presence is amongst us in a more powerful way than I can understand. And it just is. Whether the day raised, or we sing a few songs and hear from the Bible and have coffee with God, it's God's still here. This is your reminder. What should this prophetic word do to us? It should raise our hopes. It should make us expectant. It should tell us about the importance of the gathered church. And the third thing is it should move us to pray. Because I don't see this as often as I like. The kingdom is now, not yet. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Arise, Joe Sanders, right? Come back up. Arise. Why don't you rush to your feet, church? Arise. Arise. Shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. A thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. And it is a good thing. Young camels and Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and they be burned. Proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedah's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of somewhere will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar. And the Lord says, I, I myself, will adore, will decorate, will make beautiful. 
my glorious temple, the church. Friends, let's worship, let's go together, let's call on him for his presence to be amongst us. Let's cry in our hearts rise. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as in heaven.